the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Some of you sitting on this side probably saw me go the other way to blow my nose. You probably thought I was running out. And I confess to you that this parable, when I heard that I was going to offer the homily for it, um, was rather intimidating because it is so rich and so beautiful. Um, in the book, the, the, the Return of the Prodigal by the Catholic theologian, Roman Catholic theologian, Henry Nguyen, he says that the entire gospel is in this parable. My life is in this gospel. And my, the lives of all my friends are in this gospel. And so, with a bit of fear and trepidation, I move forward. Slowly. I want to tell you all something that you all know that is absolutely essential. And that is that God loves you. And when we try to wrap our mind around that statement, we find that we can't. Have any of you ever tried to imagine how much God loves you? Do it now, just for a second. Probably not the easiest context in which to do that. But when I thought of this, several things came to mind. What do we picture when we think of the love of God and how much our God loves us? I thought of the ocean. I thought of how vast and how big the ocean is and how my sins are like a little drop compared to the love of God, which is the ocean. I thought of other pictures of nature, mountains and forests, and the immensity of creation. St. Paul says in Romans that since the beginning of the world, God's attributes, his love, has been revealed in what has been made in the created world. And of course, the church offers us this truth. In fact, the church exists in the world really for one purpose to save humanity by convincing them of the love of God. And so the church offers us image after image after image. You might have pictured when you thought of the love of God, Christ on the cross, stretched out for the whole world. What greater love has one or a person than to give up his life? You may have thought of the resurrection, where Christ is pulling Adam and Eve and all of us up out of hell. And today, we are set forth at this approach to this season of repentance, the season of fasting. This gospel set for us is given to us as an icon of repentance. And yet, Father Zacharias of Essex says he really wishes 
that this gospel had become known as the gospel of the love of the Heavenly Father. Because truthfully, more is said about the compassion of the Father than is said of the sins of the, of the young man. Understanding somehow in our heart, not just our head, that God absolutely loves you, that God absolutely loves you, is the beginning of a repentance. Because we cannot even make a beginning until we truly believe, until we have been truly convinced that our Lord loves us. Why would we return to him otherwise? Father Zacharias, in his lovely book, Remember Thy First Love, devotes a whole chapter to the um, gospel that we're talking about today, we read today. And one of the things he says, how wonderful are these images that the gospel uses to show us God's infinite love and humility. What a God we have. He so loves man that he becomes his servant, including him in his own life in kingdom. God showers his mercies upon the man who repents and this is the beginning of eternal life with God. It starts with God's love which inspires our repentance and we return to him and we receive his salvation and eternal life. Everything our Lord did every conversation he had every parable he told every teaching he did was with one purpose, that was for our salvation. That we would know God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. And by knowing him, he reveals his love. So have I convinced you that God loves you? Yeah. To the parable. There was a man, as you heard, who had two sons. One of the sons, he says, give me the share of the property. Give me my inheritance that falls to me. And then soon he left. Now to us, that's very brief, and we maybe don't think too much about that. No big deal. Seems like a selfish, greedy son. Not a rare breed, perhaps. Um, and yet, in traditional cultures, this would have been one of the ultimate insults to a father to have said, give me my inheritance now, is to say, I wish you were dead. So this young man, who doesn't say these things, but we can imagine how the father received such a painful message, who is full of himself apparently, and wants to go out and strike out on his own. He goes off and he takes a journey into the far country. Now the fathers of the church say that this far country is nothing more in the world that we live in. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose, and he began, began to be in want. Now we see in this parable the love of God displayed, the love of the Father displayed in the beginning. His son asks him for what is going to be his due. And what does the father do? No, 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 you're not, I'm not dead yet. You're, you're too young. No. The father says, no, nobody says, he just gives it to him. 
Such is the utmost respect that God has for our freedom. There is only one limit to God and his power and his sovereignty, and that limit is our freedom. It is based on the love that he has given us. And that freedom shows no expectation. The love of God doesn't pressure us. It has to be given freely. Behind the gift of the Father is only hope, only longing that his Son will turn again to him to find our true selves. So it says that the young man who is now in poverty, he comes to himself. He comes to his senses. He begins to think, well, maybe not to think, but to feel, to remember, to enter back into his heart. And he has a humble thought, the fathers of the church say. And it's this humble thought, this humility, which is the beginning of his ability to return to remember his father's love. How many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. His first humble thought gives rise to a second, and he is already on his way home. And he arose, and he came to his father. And that's all it says. He came to his father. But how, how long did it take him? Remember, he was in a far country. So the resolve that he has in that far country, in his poverty, in the illumination of his heart, in the humility that he found once again, had to be sustained. Now, if this is a model for our repentance, can we imagine how long and painful and difficult the suffering of that journey is or was for him and how difficult and long and painful and difficult that journey is for us to make our repentance. We want to be close to God right now. But truthfully, the journey that this young man makes is a metaphor for our journey. And when does that journey end for us? That journey is our whole lives. While he arrives, it seems quickly, into the embrace of his father, we will receive that warm embrace, perhaps a fragrance of that now and, 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 and some flavor of that now, but only then at the end of our journey, at the end of our life of repentance, will we be in the bosom of the father. While yet he was at a distance, the father saw him, had compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We can imagine that this father, who loved the freedom of his son, waited patiently. He and his experience knew what would happen, and he waited. And you get a sense that he was watching and waiting. And when finally his son returned, he saw him from a distance. And he didn't wait for his son to return. He didn't wait for his son to, to give that well-rehearsed speech that he had. I am not worthy. He didn't, the son was not even allowed 
to finish his sentence. Quickly, bring the best robe. Not just any old robe, not his old robe, the best robe. Put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. And this shows us that in God's love for us, he is ready to restore us to the fullness of what he created us to be. Father Zachariah says, what kind of a father other than our heavenly father is able to see so clearly from afar, even from behind the mountain ranges of our sins? How astonishing it is that God should wish to follow after a man into the abyss of hell and sin. Indeed, God never takes his eyes off us. He watches and waits patiently for us to come to ourselves. Only then does he raise us to his own glory. He humbled himself before us in love, having overcome the death of sin. My brothers and sisters in Christ, many of us read this parable and we scratch our heads a bit and we have a hard time relating to the repentance of the young man. We've not left. Here we are. We're in the church. We're home. We're in the bosom of the Father. We have, we, you know, some of us certainly have felt that we've gone into this far country and that we've come back to the church, we've come back to Christ, we've come back to the Father's love. But many of us have a difficult time with this. We say, well, how am I the prodigal? How is this a model of repentance for me? But just speaking for my own self, how often am I in that far country, that far country which represents the, the world and worldliness. How often do we enter into worldliness? Father Zacharias says, most of us live in our heads. We don't live in our hearts. And yet our hearts are where Christ is, is where the love of the Father is. And so we get in our heads, we make our plans, we get worldly thinking, we have our, we're following our own dreams and desires, and we make our own plans. And sometimes we forget our Heavenly Father. We forget the reality of His immeasurable love for us. And we try to find our own way. We take our inheritance and we go and do what we please. We live a life in the world and of the world. And yet, as Christians, we're reminded constantly in the church. And so we do. We come to ourselves. We, we find ourselves anxious and worried and wound up around our worldly cares, our, our desire for pleasure, our desire for ease, and, and we wonder why we're so anxious. And we turn to God with, for help, and then we, oh, we come to ourselves. We realize how many countless times, over and over again, we have filled our minds with worldliness, and we have forgot the will of God, we have forgot the love of God. 
Now, in the world, there are a great many prodigal sons and daughters. We might say that everybody out there is somebody who is following his own way and is, has forgotten the love of God. And truly, if they have forgotten the love of God, they are lost. Because you can imagine that if this young man, while he's feeding the swine, had not remembered his father's goodness, his father's love for him, what were his options? Only despair and destruction and death. And these seem to be the options that we see being played out in the world around us. A world that does not know the love of God, that does not remember how much our Lord loves us. Now, a good part of the gospel talks about the other son. And I can't really pass. I won't say too much about it, but it seems that a lot of us can relate to him better than we can relate to the prodigal. I stayed right here. I was faithful. I did everything I was supposed to do. And this son of yours who has squandered your resources with harlots and loose living, you kill the fatted calf for him and you celebrate his return? Now the fathers say that he represents the Pharisees who divided the world into sinners and them. And they were the holy ones. And this son and his demeanor is a great temptation for us to think that we have been faithful. You see, it's a lot easier to follow rules. This young man, the older brother, stayed and obeyed, and he thought he'd done everything he was supposed to do. And yet, though he was with the father and had never left him, he didn't become like his father. He didn't gain that true inheritance from his father. His heart was not with his father. I said I wouldn't say too much about that. So I've gone on and tried to scratch the surface of this beautiful gospel, which sets before us a model of repentance at just the time when we need to up our game, to come out of our heads, to come to our senses, and to enter into our heart. Our heart is where we find Christ. Our heart is where we find the love of God. But we can't even begin to make a repentance until we are absolutely convinced of the love of God for us. We must meditate on how much God loves us. So parents, if you teach your kids anything about the faith, no, if you teach your kids anything about anything, teach them over and over and over again about how much God loves them and pray that God would help you show them. This has to be our highest priority. And children, convince yourselves that God loves you more than you can imagine. And if you do this, no matter what happens in your life, 
There will never be room for despair because we make our return over and over again and God the Father welcomes us. St. Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we can't begin our repentance unless we have in our minds and our hearts the thought of how much our Lord loves us. Amen. Forgive the lack of brevity, Father.